Hey everyone, this is Ben Chapman. Thank you for listening to Luminous Church Podcast. It's always an honor that you would take time out of your day to listen to us. We hope that you would see Jesus more clearly today and that you would also be inspired to make a difference wherever you find yourself. Enjoy today's sermon and God bless you. Church, I just want to encourage you real quickly. If you have your phones, pull them out with me real quickly. And if you would, text the word LUMINOUS, L-U-M-I-N-O-U-S, to 77977. There you'll be given a hyperlink. And on that hyperlink, if you click that, there'll be a drop-down menu. And it says Family Life Church. And so at the end of this service, um, Pastor Shad's going to come up. He's going to preach, but at this end of this service, we're going to take a special offering for this church and get them headed in the right direction. So I just want to encourage you, maybe during this sermon, just be praying about maybe if the Lord's put something on your heart, or maybe you need another week to pray about that and see what God would have you give towards this church plant. This is an every nation plant. We're a part of a movement of churches. So this is a sister church that's launching in downtown Austin. We're really excited about it. And I'm excited to have my friend here, Shadrick Bell, who's been a part of this church plant. He's prayed for us. He's helped disciple some of the men in this room. And so would you stand on your feet and welcome Pastor Shadrick Bell to the stage this morning. All right. Good morning. Welcome again to Luminous Church. As Pastor Ben said, my name is Shad and I serve as the lead pastor to a new Every Nation Church plant in the downtown Austin area called Family Life Austin. So on behalf of myself, my wife who's here and some members of our launch team for our church, we just want to say thank you for allowing us to be with you all here this morning. Um, We're so blessed that you guys would, one, allow us to be here and two, um, being a part of actively of what we're doing in the city of Austin and you guys being able to help out with that. So to Pastor Ben, Brandy, and to the elders and everyone here on staff, again, thank you for your hospitality and always loving us and treating us as family because as God is calling us to build a spiritual family in the city of Austin, we're thankful that we have one right here in San Antonio. And so if you are visiting today, it is my prayer that you would consider making this church your church for the simple fact is that Church is not just a building. Church is a people. And when you have people, you have a family. So that is something that you all will get to embark upon if you choose to make this church your church. Now, with that being said, there's an old saying that says, blessed is the man who is short-winded, for he will be invited back to preach. So we are going to go ahead and get started. I know some of you guys want to go home and watch the Cowboys lose tonight, so let's all stand to our feet. We're going to be coming from Romans chapter 3, verses 9 through 30. You can open up to your Bibles now if you have one. If not, you can pull out your phone. I won't judge you. I won't think you're texting. You're just going to open up your Bible app and go to there. And if you have neither, it is okay. Technology is amazing. You guys have a lot of screens, so you can read along with us. So it reads as this. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all both Jews and Greeks are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one, no one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, they have become worthless, no one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave, they use their tongues to deceive, the venom of ash is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness, their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. 
There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and that the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been made manifest apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction for all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God and all are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forth as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of the Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. If you are taking notes this morning, the title of my message is The Gospel is for Everyone. Again, the gospel is for everyone. Today, as we find ourselves in the book of Romans, there is good news and there is bad news about this particular sermon title. The good news is, is that the title of this is true, is that the gospel is indeed for everyone. Now, the bad news is, is that we're coming out of the book of Romans, and if you've ever read the book of Romans, it is a really intense read, and I suspect that some of you may look like this as you go through the first nine chapters of this book. Yeah, you see the Pope, man, even he's stressed about it, right? No, but really, the bad news about this sermon title is not everybody's going to believe that the gospel is for everyone. So because of that, they're never actually going to play out the gospel in their practical day-to-day lives because they're not surrendered to the fact that the gospel, again, really is indeed for everyone. And this is bad news, but I want to start off with some good news. See, it was about two years ago that I was getting ready to propose to my now wife, Caress. See, her and I were sent as missionaries with other leaders and pastors and students around the world to Christ Church New Zealand for a mission trip. And it was there, after I did all my Jesus work, of course, first, because that's why I was there in the first place, that I decided to propose to Caress in the mountains in New Zealand. And this is a picture of it. So this is your boy with perfect form. You see me? See the knee angle? This is Caress totally shocked. And this is my friend Dan in the back who just messed up our picture. It's like, bro, it's not about you right now. I show this picture when I go to preach because I want to remind Caress that no man would ever be able to pull off a proposal like this and that I'm as good as she's ever going to get. <laughs> See, Christ Church New Zealand is a very special place for her and I, not just because of the memory that we had, but the good news that was proclaimed in that moment. It was also good news to my mama because before that moment, I had been in 26 other weddings as a groomsman. Yeah, I was like the male version of 27, you know, dresses, just 27 tuxes, just with a brother in it, you know. Yeah, my mom was pretty excited about it. See, Christ Church, New Zealand, we had never heard about it, more or less would have never thought about going, but it's a special place for us because of the good memory that we had, but the good news that I proclaimed that day. But on March 15, 2019, many people heard of Christ Church, New Zealand for the first time, and it was not 
good news. It was actually very bad news. It was bad news because of a horrendous terrorist attack that occurred during a Friday afternoon prayer service in a local mosque. And to make matters worse, the attackers actually live streamed it on Facebook for the entire world to see. And it was in that moment that the world was reminded of this one thing, whether we want to believe it or not, and that is evil does exist. And not only does evil exist, it exists inside the heart of us as people. So it doesn't matter whether it was the shooting at that mosque that particular day or last year on Easter in Sri Lanka where a church was bombed or a Jewish synagogue was bombed or in Midland, Odessa, Dayton, Ohio, all these shootings that have happened in El Paso. If that's a little bit too intense for you, maybe the road rage that you had coming to church this morning, rushing in the parking lot to find that perfect spot. We see that there's something wrong in the world, and what is wrong is that there's something wrong inside of us. See, we lack world peace because we lack peace in and of our own hearts. And we are a people that are unfortunately fueled by judgment and entitlement because we believe the lie that we tell ourselves each and every day that in some way, shape, form, or fashion, we think that we're better than other people. At times, we even think that we're better than the person we're currently sitting next to. Don't look at them. And all of this, once again, is a reminder that we are extremely flawed as people. And at the core of every act of this type of judgment is humanity's desperate cry that says, I want to be seen and known and be valuable to somebody, even if it comes at the expense of their own life. And this is what Paul talked about because he knew all too well that was in the evil that were in other people's hearts because he had to come face to face with the evil that was within his own heart. See, once named Saul of Tarsus, Paul was basically a Jewish rabbi to a religious group called the Pharisees that actually devoutly studied the Torah, which we would consider to be the first five books of our now Christian Bible. And because of what Paul believed to be as religious truth at the moment, he saw newly converted Christians as both blasphemers to the truth and less than equal to him as a Pharisee. So in turn, because of that, he tried to actually kill and persecute as many Christians as he could. But they weren't the people who actually were a threat to Jewish culture within that society. They were the people that God used to actually expose his insecurities. But sometimes after that, Paul had his own personal conversion experience with Jesus where he came to find out that the same gospel that was for everyone was the same gospel that was available to him as a murderer. See, around 41 AD, this Roman emperor by the name of Claudius actually expelled all Jewish people from out the city of Rome. And it was then that Gentiles, non-Jewish people, began establishing their political and religious customs there within the city. Well, about five years later, those once expelled Jews were actually allowed back into Rome. And it was then, if you can imagine, extreme amounts of both religious and political tension right there within the city of Rome. So a key problem within the culture of the city and the culture of the church in Rome in that time was not amongst unbelievers of Jesus, but amongst believers of Jesus. And to that I say, go figure, right? These seemingly conservative and liberal followers of Jesus were at odds with one another about politics and how the church should be run. But we don't see anything like that here in America today, right? Liberals and conservatives fighting one another in the church. Well, Paul didn't see this as much as an issue as it is as an opportunity. He thrusted himself as a representative of God to actually unify the Jewish and the Gentile believers. See, the book of Romans many of times is preached like some rant of anger, but Paul actually spoke out of this book because of the lament that was in his heart of how believers were treating one another. And it was his duty to say, I want to unite these two people with this gospel that's for everyone. 
And as Paul began preaching this, although it caused tension in the city of Rome, what we did see is God's true church begin to rise as he was trying to create a multi-ethnic, multi-generational, multicultural church right there in the city of Rome. And the reason why he did this is because he knew that a surrendered heart is more than just surrendering yourself to religious duties. Yes, praying is good, but praying just doesn't make you a Christian. Yes, serving is good, but just serving doesn't make you a Christian. God wanted people to have a surrendered heart. And this is where we find ourselves in chapter 3 of Romans, where Paul was declaring then essentially what I want us to hear today, and that is the gospel is for everyone because the gospel is meant for us, but it is not from us. Again, the gospel is meant for us, but it is not from us. I only have two points this morning that prove that the gospel is meant for us, but it is not from us. So number one, it is our sin. So let me just get real here for just a few moments. Our personal sin is the reason why you and I don't believe that the gospel in its entirety is for everyone. Again, our personal sin, not the sins of other people, are the reason why you and I don't believe that the gospel in its entirety is for everyone. And this is bad news. And not only is it bad news, I will submit that this news is evil. It's the type of evil that Paul was talking about that reigned in men and women's hearts. And he begins to talk about this in verse 9 where he says this. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all, for we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. Essentially, Paul is saying that no person is better than the other. That even though he is a Jew, that he is no better than the Gentile, and the Gentile is no better than the Jew. He goes on to emphasize this point in the scripture later where he says, None is righteous. Again, no, not one. So this word righteousness can be defined as one who is in right standing with God. So for you and I to be in right standing with God would mean that we would have to have the perfect moral character as God himself. Now, I want to ask a seemingly logical question that I know we all know the answer for. But for clarity purposes, for us to move forward, it must be asked. And that is, is there anybody in the room that's perfect? Okay, nobody's Jesus, so we're good. We shouldn't be worshiping each other. So now we can all conclude that we are not righteous on our merit alone. And I want to be very clear about something that may be sobering for you, that it may even be the first time that you heard this, but you are not righteous on your merit alone. This is what the Bible says, so if you have a problem with it, you know, you and God, go wrestle that out. Don't go to Pastor Ben and say, oh, man, that's bad. Don't come to me about it because I'm going to be back to Austin. Whatever I mess up in here, as the old school song says, Pastor Ben, you got to clean up. So I'm just here to do my job and be out. I am definitely not righteous on my merit alone. You'll find that out over the next 27 minutes, and I'm definitely not righteous because of the group text I have with some of the guys in here. Y'all know what I'm talking about, all right? Your big mama, your grandma, your opa, your grandpa, whoever it may be who bakes you the best cookies and all that stuff like that, as sweet as they are, they're not righteous on their merit alone. Sad news, not even your beloved pastor, my friend, Pastor Ben, even though he is way holier than I am, He's not righteous on his merit alone. Not even the Pope is righteous on their merit alone. I mean, you saw how convicted he was, right, after reading the book of Romans in that picture. The social media activists and the social justice warriors, although that their liberal ways in some ways reflect God, are actually not biblical, so they're not righteous on their merit alone either. The overly conservative and patriotic politician or even the veteran who we love and adore they're not righteous on their merit alone either because when you compare their sacrifice to the one who sacrificed himself for all, it fails in comparison. The good Samaritan who helped the old lady across the street with the three-legged dog that you cut off trying to get that parking spot this morning, 
They're not righteous on their merit alone either. No one is righteous on their merit alone. And to make matters worse, Paul doesn't let off. He keeps pushing this in people's ego when he says this. No one seeks for God. And like the Jewish and Gentiles followers of that day, I believe that we're not too different. See, many of times we think that we're seeking God, but when we're really just seeking the gifts of God. We want his blessings, but we don't want him. We want the created thing, but not the creator. We want the gifts, but not the gift giver. And this is what the Bible is basically telling us. So I know that we think that we're good in comparison maybe to Hitler or even the shooters in Christ church. But when we compare ourselves to an almighty, holy and righteous God, none of us are. And if anyone thinks that we are inherently good as a people, what I would like you to do is at the end of service, I want you to find one of the leaders in this church and basically tell them, I want to serve in children's church for all of 2020, for both services. And tell me what you feel about that statement going into 2021. Because this is the reason why, if any of you all know, yes, the kids here, they're so cute. They're so sweet. But unfortunately, they sin too. They're not always God's little angels, right? Nobody is in the back right now teaching your children to yell the word mine as they're snatching a toy from their friend. The only reason why they would ever make a statement like that is because that statement has been embedded in their heart from the beginning of the time because of this thing called sin, or they have seen us actually display these type of actions to each other as believers. And this may be a funny thing when we think about children, but it's not a funny thing when we begin to think about this is how we treat our Christian brothers and sisters within the church. So I'm going to use myself as an example. In my own personal arrogance, I have found myself many of times, and even still today, perceiving myself to be more righteous than my wife, Caress. See, when we got married, and unfortunately still now, I, for some odd reason, and people who've been married longer than me are going to be like, boy, you dumb. (laughs) I thought it was my job to disciple my wife in the ways of the Lord because I'm the pastor. And needless to say, that didn't work out in my favor, ever. It don't work out, especially when you got a black wife with some Spanish blood. You know, she'll be looking at you sometime. <laughs> especially wasn't good when over the past year I was laid up in bed with a broken leg, and my every request was at the helm of her saying yes, even though I was thinking about her in this way. See, I found myself getting frustrated with myself, her and God, because I did certain religious things differently than she did, and I judged her for it. For example, I got up and prayed earlier in the morning than she did. Or I prayed longer than she did. But funny enough, after all of our praying, I was the only one who was still stressed. (laughs) See, while I was up praying heaven down for all of our problems to go away, Caress was way less stressed about everything because she wasn't praying out of religious anxiety like I was. She simply trusted God. She prayed, and she did what she does best. She went back to sleep while I was up going crazy. (laughs) See, I thought I was better because I processed the ways of God differently than her, and I lived out those ways differently. And one morning... When I was up praying early, being more righteous, God reminded me of something. He was like, hey, Shad. I was like, yeah, it's your boy. I'm up early, caress asleep. I know you've seen the guy. She needs to repent. He said, hey, you know that thing that you criticize caress about, about how she follows me and how she hears from me? That's the same ways that she used to hear from me to marry you. And it was in that moment I was so convicted, I even questioned God and her more. I was like, yeah, well, how can somebody so great ever want to marry somebody like me? You know what I'm saying? But you see what I'm saying? It is so easy to judge somebody just because they follow God differently than you. Why? Because my heart wasn't fully surrendered to the fact that the gospel needed to actually transform my heart in some, answer, some ways beyond me just saying yes to God. And basically, this is what Paul is saying to the Jew and the Gentile that I know You think that you're following me, but you're really not. 
I know you think that you're seeking me, but you're really not. And Paul proves this statement about the Jews and the Gentiles by exposing their words, their deeds, and their thoughts in just a few verses. So I'm going to allow you to read verses 13 to 18. I'm just going to explain it. Paul basically saying to the Jew and the Gentile that their throat is like an open grave. Why? Because of the lies that they tell daily. He say their words kill people. Why? Because the words are like the venom that is found in the African viper. He said their feet move to perform deeds that leads not only them but others in Rome into a path of destruction. And because of that, they lack peace in Rome because they don't have the peace of God in and of their own hearts. And finally, Paul goes on to say that they don't even fear God anymore because they have made themselves to be the God of their life and trying to be the God of other people's life. And I would submit that sadly today, we are no different. This is our sin. So I don't mean to be so direct, but since I'm already here, let me keep being direct and ask you a question. Is this you? Is this your sin nature? When you look at the words that you use, the actions that you commit, or even the thoughts that you have about other people, and you think that they're just thoughts, but really you're just religious because you think that if they're a thought, nobody knows, but God still knows them. Is what I'm saying a reflection of your character? If so, I hope that you would take a moment and not be condemned, but feel the love that is coming from Paul and just weep over the fact of that. Now, for some of you, you may say no, and I would say, why are you so quick to say no? Are you afraid that what I'm saying is actually a reflection of your character? Because I would submit that the area that you are most sensitive about your life is the area that sin has its greatest hold within your life. It is probably the area where you seek God the least and begin to justify the ways that you feel about God so that you can now look upon somebody else. And this is where we begin to make up ideologies about God that are not even biblical or scripture based. And Paul doesn't let up. He actually keeps pouring on and he says this about our understanding of God that no one understands. Really, the only thing that we understand about God can be found in verse 20 where he says this. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So translation simply put, no person will ever be made in right standing with God by what they do alone. And the more that you study the law of God, the more that you should see yourself as a sinner in the midst of God. I'm going to say that again. The more that you study the law of God, the more that you read, the more that you worship, the more that you pray, you should see yourself as more of a sinner because of God. Why? Because it is through the law that we have knowledge about our own personal sin. And if you do not see yourself as more of a sinner, the more that you follow God, I would ask, what God are you following? Is it the God of yourself or is it the God of the Bible? Because it can't be the God of the Bible because once you put yourself in the midst of who God is, you should see that I don't even compare. And this is what Paul begins to talk about, is that we can't see sin and of ourselves, so we need somebody else's form of righteousness to show us not only who we are, but what we need to be redeemed from. And that leads me to my second point, God's righteousness. Romans 3 and 21 starts off by saying two words, and those two words are, but now. Somebody say, but now. But Come on, say it with your chest like Kevin Hart. Say, but now. All right, but now may be the two most important words that you and I hear today because what it's telling us is that what something currently is right now is not necessarily what it will be. Come on, what you're going through, what you're facing, what you're walking through, it doesn't have to be because some of us in here today feel like we've messed up so much by the sins that we've committed, either by omission or commission, that we don't believe that God can transform our situation. 
But God is saying to you today through the words that were spoken by Paul then, but now. But now the righteousness of God has been made manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. See, despite our sin and despite our flawed righteousness, we have a new righteousness that we can place our trust in, and that is the righteousness of Jesus. It is not the righteousness of me. It is not the righteousness of you. It is not the righteousness of Pastor Ben. It is not the righteousness of our ideological or political beliefs, but of the righteousness of God. And this righteousness has no distinction to whom it is extended to. And this is good news. We should be celebrating over that fact. Because God's righteousness looks like, was, and still is, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection that was put on the cross for the entire world to see. So some of us in here need to be reminded today, myself included, that God did not leave us in charge to determine who the gospel was for. Again, God did not leave us in charge to determine who the gospel was for. And I'm going to tell you an example of what exposes our hearts about this. And it goes about a man named Kanye West. I don't know if Kanye West is saved. I don't know. I'm not trying to know if he's saved or not. I hope that he is. But what I do know is this. If you don't believe for one moment that God can actually change Kanye West's heart, that you don't believe anything in Romans, because in one moment, God knocked this man named Paul off this high horse, and he's preaching the gospel in the city of Rome, and people are coming to know Jesus, and that's what we're reading about today. So if you don't believe that God can change Kanye's heart, there's one or two things. You don't believe in God's power. You don't believe in his presence. And if you don't believe that God can change a man like that in one moment, then that means you probably haven't experienced God's power yourself. And you're probably trying to do things to earn your salvation when there's nothing that we can do to earn it. And this is why the gospel, again, is for us, but it is not from us, right? And praise be to God that it's not from us, because if it was from us, then it would be man's religious attempt to try to reach God through religious ways. And God is saying, there is nothing that you can do to reach me. That is why I left heaven and came to earth, because you were like a sheep without a shepherd. And this is why Paul combats this thought in verse 23, where he says this, For all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. Now, in preparation for this sermon, I decided to study the word all in both the Greek and the Hebrew, and I came to find out that the word all still means all. It's all in English, it's all in Greek, it's all in Hebrew, it's all in Spanish, it's all in whatever. All means all. And since all of us have fallen short of the glory of God, then all of us need the glory of God to both save and redeem us, not from somebody else, but from ourselves. And this is the revelation that we have today that Paul spoke centuries ago, and that is true righteousness is the revelation of God's righteousness towards mankind. Again, true being in right standing with God was God revealing himself in the man of Jesus Christ. And God's righteousness, I believe, gives us three types of hope as believers that can allow us to move forward today to be the church that God wants us to be. And that is, number one, a new status. Number two, a new family. And number three, a new future. So number one, God's righteousness gives us a new status. This is good news because you and I don't have to be perfect anymore. All we have to do is admit that our righteousness is flawed in comparison to Jesus. And at that time, we say, God, would you exchange my flawed righteousness for your goodness? And in that moment, the Bible calls what it talks about, this substitutionary atonement where he died for our sins. He was raised from the dead. And now God imputes his righteousness onto us and he takes upon our sin. 
And one of the most beautiful scriptures in the Bible is in Revelation. You should read it because at the beginning of Revelation, it tells you there's a special blessing for reading it. You don't have to understand it. Just read it if you want a blessing. Side note. But it says this. It says when Jesus comes back, Jesus is not going to look like the paintings that we have in our house. You know, where Jesus got like a wavy perm and, you know, blue eyes and he looks all good. No, it says when Jesus comes back, he's going to have fire in his eyes. He's going to have swords coming out of his mouth. It says on the inside of his thigh is going to be an inscription. I'm like, I don't know. Maybe Jesus went to Houston and got tatted up where I'm from. I don't know. Maybe that's what that means. But it says that the people who are his army, the followers of Jesus, the believers, will be wearing white robes. But it says that his robe will be dipped in blood. And so what that means is, is that when we get to heaven and we stand before the seat of judgment and God looks at us and says, what is the basis by which you can get into heaven? Jesus steps in and says, hey, they wear my righteousness and I wear their sin for all of eternity. So when we see Jesus, his robe is going to be dipped in blood forever. That is good news. That is good news because that means that when God made that great exchange, if there was nothing that we could do to earn it, then that means that there's nothing that we could do to lose it. And the safest place for our lives, this church's life and people's lives, is to be in the hands of Jesus. And this is why Jesus allowed nails to be driven through his hands. And this is the reason why we can serve and we can be generous because why? Jesus opened up his hands so that our hands could be free to fully give ourselves to other people. This is why God's righteousness gives us a new status. Amen? Number two, God's righteousness gives us a new family. Because we know that the gospel is for everyone, we now remember that we all fall short of the glory of God, which means... We don't have time to judge other people because we know that we need the gospel just as much as them. And now we come together in our flawed state so that God can make something beautiful out of our mistakes, right? That's what our lives is. And this is what Paul was preaching in Rome. And this is what I see you guys right here doing in the city of San Antonio and Luminous is building a multicultural, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church, right? That is what you guys are here for. You're wanting to help people see Jesus clearly. And you want to make a difference in the campus, in the community, in the world. And because what Paul was preaching then has made its way to America and has somehow made it in the way of Pastor Ben's heart. And he is saying, guys, we can build this. And I'm seeing what you guys are doing. I remember being at you all's first service and now seeing what it is. And now when I look at this, it inspires us to say, we're going to Austin to do the same thing. See, the city of Austin was built for basically 200,000 people. And right now, there's over 2 million people in the city. It is the fastest growing city in the United States with 113 people moving there on average a day, which means by 2040, there will be 4 million people in a city that was built for 200,000 people. There are over 500,000 people just in the downtown area where we want to be at, which means this, by those numbers, for every 4,000 people, there are only four churches in Austin, which means we need to plant more churches, not just our church. We need multiple churches because it is prideful for us to think that we can reach the city by ourselves, but a body of believers can. And we trust God, even in the midst of this city where other pastors and people have told us, you don't plant a church there because that's where churches go to die. Or you're going to have more spiritual attacks in your life. Or this city is racially divided by I-35. But we believe that as we plant ourselves in the middle of that city, God would bring the east and the west together in his heart so that people would come to know him. And we took a research study. And amongst all the issues that are within the city, yes, the city is racially divided and we want to fix that. Yes, homelessness is one of the biggest problems within the city right now. But it says people's biggest issue was this, is that they're hopeless. If I'm supposed to have a family, why is there divorce and broken relationships around me? 
if we're supposed to reach the campus, why is this so wild? If I'm supposed to come here for a job, why can't I find one? And this is why we are a diverse people who find life in Christ. So whether you don't know Jesus at all, or you've been walking with him for 50 plus years, there's more of Jesus that you can have. Because the only cap of Jesus in your life is the one that you put on him. And we want to bring that hope to people because we're praying, asking God to come down out of heaven. But the Bible says that Christ in us is the hope of glory. So every community issue that we see, everything that we see in our city, everything that we see in our state, everything that we see in our communities or our school, we are the answer for. God has put the answer inside of us, us, him, all of our gifts to make a difference in this city. And we are inspired to do that because of what you guys are doing here. I want you to just look at the room. Your people from different colors, from different creeds, from different backgrounds, from different political beliefs, but you're all here for this one reason, because you believe that the power of Jesus really works. And so I would ask that if you see something in this church that you don't like, you're the answer for it. That you would submit underneath Pastor Ben and say, how can we make this church the church of God? If you see things that you like, praise God, you participated in it. But you have an opportunity to build something because God is giving us a new family based upon his righteousness. The last thing, number three, God's righteousness gives us a new future. See, you and I can rest assured in the midst of all of our life's tensions that God at one day in one moment is going to come and redeem everything that he created. He's going to redeem all of our world's problems because why one day we will be one with the Father and one with him because God will have eradicated all evil. Now, the scary thing about that is, again, if God wants to eradicate all evil, then he has to eradicate all of us. But for some odd reason, that didn't stop Paul because he knew that there was a true hope in Jesus. He didn't look at Rome as like hell going into a handbasket. He believed that he could play a part in Christ's glorious return. And this is why we do this, because we have a future hope, because future, real hope and future hope doesn't keep us stagnant. It always pushes us forward. And I believe that as we rally together and we remember that the gospel is for everyone, that God can build this type of church. And he's doing it in you guys right now. and He's going to do it in us in the city of Austin. Amen. Let us all stand to our feet. And we're going to go to the Father now in prayer. And I want us to just all close our eyes and bow our heads as we pray. Dear Father, I thank you for your goodness and your mercy. I thank you that you love us in spite of not what we can do for you. And there may be some of us in here in the room today who think that we have known you, but we really don't have a relationship with you. We had a relationship with religious ways or trying to just be a good person, and I don't want to skip over the opportunity. If there's anybody in the room who wants to fully see Jesus clearly for the first time, and you really want to give your life to him, not the God of rules and regulations, but the gospel and the God who gives himself for everybody. If that's you, you want to give your life to Jesus. I want you to just raise your hand. Is there anybody? All right. Now, for the rest of us, we may very well have a relationship with Jesus, but the cross is not one that is just vertical. There's a horizontal piece to that, too, because God doesn't reconcile us to just to be reconciled with him. He reconciles us so that we can be reconciled with his church, which is people. And you know today, after hearing this message, when you examine your words, your thoughts, and your deeds, that you need more of God's redeeming power. God right now is showing you a coworker that you need to reconcile with, a spouse you need to reconcile with, 
a family member or a friend you need to reconcile with. Or even you need to reconcile with his bride, which is the church. You need to commit yourself back to the church because you know that you need the grace of God more than everybody else. And if that's you and God has put something on your heart that needs to be changed with your words, your deeds, or your action, I just ask that you would raise your hand right now. It's me too. So Father God, you see these hands. You are the ultimate redeemer. You just don't redeem us back to you. You redeem us back to society. And God, I just pray that as you heal the wounds in our hearts, that you would heal our thoughts, that you would heal our, our deeds, that you would heal our words to bless people so that you could create your multi-ethnic, multicultural, multi-generational church and that we would see your kingdom come and your will be done right here in the city of San Antonio at Luminous Church. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you all for having me. Come on, let's give God a big hand for that. Well, this is, uh, this is Caress, the better half of Shad. And uh, so proud of them, so excited for what God is doing. Before we leave today, I want to just take an opportunity to pray for these two. And so I invited Chase and Winton to come up and lay hands on them. And uh, I want to do this before we do so, um, that every church plant needs prayer. And so we're just asking our church to commit with prayer. Start praying for these two. Start praying for Austin. Start praying that lives would be changed and added to this church, added to his church. The second thing that every church needs is finances. Uh, we were so blessed that people like this, that churches like this rallied behind us and, and, and donated over $200,000 to help launch Luminous Church in 2014. And so I'm just asking right now, their funding is about $40,000, and, and they're in the most expensive part. Uh, I mean, this is a very expensive city, and so they just need funding. And so I'm going to ask you to maybe participate, uh, whether you're a college student and you want to give up coffee for a month, or, or you're maybe a professional, a business professional, and you can give a little bit more than that. I just encourage you, whatever it is that God's prompting you to do, would you do? And if he's prompting you today, do it today. But we're going to leave up their giving link next week also so that you can talk to your spouse or talk to your parents or talk to a friend about how you could participate in this. Would you extend a hand to this couple as we begin to just pray and bless them this morning? Father God, we just thank you so much, Lord, for this word that the gospel is for everyone. And so, Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you that these two are carrying this message, God, into this city. God, where statistically there's a lot of hopelessness. But, Father God, that you've brought a lot of hope out of these people. God, that there's a lot of hope inside of Shad. There's a lot of hope inside of Caress. God, we thank you for their team today who's here, God. We just pray, God, that you would just swell faith right now, God, to believe for the impossible. God, we pray for open doors right now in Austin, Texas, God, that you would just, in our capital, would just open new doors, new opportunities for the gospel to go forth, God, that there would be divine appointments that happen on every corner, God, that there would be relationships that happen, God. I just pray, God, for the ministry out of these two, God, to be powerful and effective, sharper than a two-edged sword, God, that you would start calling people into their destiny and into their purpose through this church, God. And so, Lord, we just pray that you would bless them spiritually, emotionally, physically, financially right now in every way, God. We pray that they would have no lack, no lack in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.